This is WWE superstar Drew McIntyre, and you're listening to the WWE Podcast. One that everybody wants me. You're gonna acknowledge me. Alright, everybody, guys and girls, welcome back to another edition of the SmackDown Review right here on the WWE Podcast. As always, I am your host. Michael Ritter. You can find me on Twitter at Michael5Ritter and on Instagram at MichaelRitter5. Also the host of the Football Function Podcast, available on all of your podcast platforms and also on Patreon. So today we're going to be talking about the SmackDown that aired on December 10th, 2021 from Los Angeles, California, inside of the formerly known as Staples Center. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they switched the name. I mean, I'm very sure that they switched the name. But that's what Michael Cole kept calling it throughout the duration of the match. He even called it that, or throughout the duration of the show, sorry. And even last week, whenever he was previewing this episode, he referenced it as the Staples Center. And I think it's like the Crypto.com Center or something like that. I'm not really sure what the name is, but I'm very positive that the the actual Staples logo was taken off of the arena. So, I don't know. I guess uh, not really my, or I guess it's not really... My problem, I guess, it's not really a big deal or anything like that, but I could see this being another situation where Vince or WWE just didn't want to mention the new name. Everybody knows the most famous, one of the most famous arenas in the country, outside of Madison Square Garden, of course, is, I mean, Staples Center is going to be up there on that list. It's where they had WrestleMania 21, I believe it was, when WrestleMania went Hollywood. So um, that card was pretty badass. I know, I think DJ Kuzma might have referenced the Batista, Triple H, and some other things that happened on that card on the mailbag this past week, so that kind of took me back a little bit, but either way, I was definitely um, a big fan of this this arena throughout its time being known as the Staples Center, so the fact that they switched the name, I just thought that was, it was weird that WWE didn't acknowledge that, but either way, that's where the show took place tonight, and there was no shortage of star power throughout the crowd, they definitely showed the cast of the Jackass crew, you know, the movies, the Jackass, I'm a big fan of that stuff. It looked like they had some new characters. They're trying to pass the torch a little bit, obviously, as you could tell if you watched SmackDown and saw Johnny Knoxville, he has a full head of gray hair, which is just crazy. Seeing him, I, I remember, gosh, I was like 10 or 11 years old, seeing all the original Jackass movies and back whenever it was just a TV show, so definitely uh, nostalgic seeing that. And then also X-Pac, he was there with... I don't know what her name is, the, the the woman who he was with. She was wearing an NWO shirt. She's been on WWE programming before. I just have no idea who she is. So I guess that's uh, something else that I'll have to look into. Reggie Bush, a very famous Los Angeles athlete who went to the University of USC and, uh, I guess, University of Southern California, USC. And he became an absolute phenom there and went to the NFL. So, I mean, there's definitely, whenever WWE goes to L.A., it's going to be a jam-packed show. And there's going to be a lot of famous faces there in the crowd. And just as far as this SmackDown goes, I will say I liked it. And I'm in the Discord chat, obviously. And DJ Kuzmo and Jeremy Snyder, I believe it is, a new patron, I believe they're talking about how how they think it's a C-plus show. And I will say... I, I. I'm not going to necessarily disagree that it's a C-plus show, so to speak, because, I mean, 
I mean, C plus will get you through high school. C plus literally is a passing grade. It will literally graduate you through college and all that stuff. I mean, C's get degrees. That's literally a, a saying that goes around there. So saying it's a C plus show isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially whenever you factor in the things that they were dealing with. And I will say, I, I respectfully disagree that this wasn't, you know, that it was an eh show. I think this was a pretty good show. I mean, it's no secret. Roman Reigns wasn't there. So that, that, that alone puts you at a disadvantage for one. And if you're telling me that you can produce a C-plus show without your best guy, like, I mean, you guys know I love to use football analogies. Well, here one comes. If you're down your quarterback or your best player, for that matter, no matter what position he is, if you are going to go into a week without your very best player, you're at a disadvantage, and it's a good chance you're not going to perform. I think that all things considered, Roman Reigns not being there, this was a badass se- or episode of SmackDown. I like the opening segment. We'll get into that first. The main event was an entertaining triple threat tag team match that took up a pretty good chunk of the show. I mean, it was well documented last week that it was like a laughable amount of actual wrestling that took place on the episode of SmackDown. Like it was mostly just backstage promos, video packages, in the ring promos. There wasn't a whole lot of actual wrestling. Well, I feel like they kind of did a little bit better job with getting the show more wrestling centered this week. So I like that. There was a middle segment featuring a lot of women. We had a new or we had an in-ring debut, not necessarily like an actual match, but we had a debut for a new superstar that's been hyped up for a while in Zia Lee. So I mean just when you look at it like that, good opening segment, good main event, a lot of wrestling, storyline development, a new debut. I mean, if that's a C plus, then I would hate to see what it would take to get you guys to give this like a B plus grade. Cause I mean you guys are some tough critics, but hey. To each his own, it's all subjective, obviously. You guys might not like the same stuff that other people like, and so on and so forth. And like I said, C+, it's not like I'm saying that that, that that's a bad thing. C+, is a good thing. I think C+, is a good show, but I think that maybe I would have just gone up just all things considered that happened throughout this episode of SmackDown. But we will get right into that episode right now. There's really no need to drag things out any further. Let's get into it. Uh, first off, I want to say RIP to Jack Lanza. They highlighted that throughout the show at the beginning and they gave him a nice little uh, tribute video package during the show. So that was nice right there. Definitely want to give thoughts out to his family, friends, and fans out there. And also, before we start the SmackDown review, I, I'm just going to say this every week now, or at least every week that I notice it, which is pretty frequently. It's just whether or not I mention it on the show. I hate the white ropes. I've mentioned it before. I'm going to keep saying it. It just makes no sense. Why? Like, why not just bring back the blue ropes to SmackDown? I don't understand why you stop. You were using them for like two or three years, and all of a sudden you just go back to white ropes. I haven't been watching Raw over the past few weeks. Are the ropes red on Raw? I'm pretty sure they are. It'd be pretty noticeable if they weren't, but I don't know, honestly, from the uh, the Raw recaps that they do, and I can't really notice. I feel like I would notice if they were white, but like I said, I could be wrong there. So somebody definitely let me know if the ropes are red or not over on Raw, because if they are, then it makes absolutely no sense for them to not have blue ropes on SmackDown. But the way this show opens is with Sami Zayn coming to the ring in a wheelchair with a a boot on his leg and a neck brace. And I mean, he just looks beat to hell. I mean, it looks like he got a lot worse than what he really got last week. It looks like he got in a car accident, maybe got thrown off of a building or something like that. Or maybe had a run in with the ruthless aggression era, unmasked cane. He had a very frequent or frequent reputation of putting people in wheelchairs like that, just absolutely beating the hell out of them. So Sami Zayn looks like he definitely got put through the slammer there. He has two buff nurses with him. I mean, that's one thing I noticed. Like, well, those dudes don't look like they should be nurses. They look like they should be power lifters or something like that. So that's one thing. If Anytime you see, like, a, a security guard or something like that who looks like they're, like, a bodybuilder, obviously, you know, 
if you're uh, if you've been watching wrestling for longer than a month, you know that some enhancement talent, some local enhancement talent, maybe because they were in such a big city of LA, they have a bigger pool to pull from. So they were like, well, let's get these two dudes who look like they can just debut on the main roster tomorrow. And that's pretty much what happens. Usually those guys end up getting their asses kicked. And those two guys definitely did. It's not like Brock like beat the hell out of him, but it was rough. Like when you see two people step in the ring and try to, you know, even though it wasn't a match, but they were interacting, they were kind of having a physical altercation. If you don't have any chemistry, it's going to be sloppy. And that's what you could tell there. I mean, I was actually kind of worried for those guys when Brock was trying to throw them out of the ropes because they really didn't go through smoothly. They both like got collided with the ropes in a different way that, I mean, each one looked very, very painful. But this whole segment for Sami Zayn was just him basically going on and on about how he's not calling it a conspiracy, but it is funny how it took the two top guys in WWE, like the two most dominant wrestlers in WWE history, according to him, those are his words, um, to be the one who put him in the wheelchair. And before he's finished addressing all that stuff that happened, Paul Heyman comes out and he like kind of stands in Sami's way and Sammy doesn't appreciate that. He kind of stands in Sammy's way and blocks him and says that Roman Reigns isn't there and all that stuff. He's on an island in Samoa. And Sammy Zayn, he starts getting pissed off because Paul Heyman isn't respecting him. He doesn't let him finish. He eventually stands up out of the wheelchair and says, look, neck brace, wheelchair, really doesn't matter. I am a top flight athlete and I will rip your head off. And because Roman Reigns isn't here, there's nobody here that can save you. And about two seconds later, we hear Brock Lesnar's music. And he comes to the ring, has one of his most fierce entrances in terms of, like, the pyro that goes off. If you just saw Brock Lesnar's face, and they even mentioned it, like, because I saw this happen live. Whenever he came out, I was like, holy, that he looked like he was very, very pissed off there. And when he grabs his chair, hits the announce table, it's pretty clear that he's in some type of mood. But they even show the replay of his entrance and his facial expressions. So if you haven't watched SmackDown or if maybe you just want to go back and rewatch that, I definitely would because it's definitely just pretty cool to see whenever entrances, for the most part, are pretty like fast-forwardable. I don't know if that's really a word, but they're easily to fast-forward through because, I mean, it's the entrance, the same thing that you're going to see week in, week out. It'll save you about, I don't know, like five minutes off the show if you were to fast-forward everybody's entrance. But um, I don't necessarily do that. But this one, I will say Brock Lesnar just... He looked like he was meaning business, and he gets in the ring, and he's trying to pitch to Sammy that the reason why he interfered and knocked, basically you know, took him out of the match before it even started is because, I mean, he was like, let's be honest. You weren't going to win that match on that given day, which is kind of funny that he said that given that he was the one who peer pressured Sammy to take that match and forced him to do it on that day. So I thought that was kind of funny, but he just says, look, you weren't going to win that match. I was trying to protect you. I mean, you called me a friend last week. You said we were kind of friends today. I mean, what the hell? Man, he even offers to take him to Saskatchewan to hunt and to fish, where Sammy says, hey, look, I'm actually a vegan. I've been meaning to talk to you about that kind of stuff. Again, Brock Lesnar really doesn't give him a choice, and he starts to kind of roll him out of the ring as if he's going to take him literally right there. He says, let's get out of here, and they were going to go to Saskatchewan. Paul Heyman apparently has seen enough. He hops in the ring. He says, what the hell is this going on? Three years ago, that right there would have gotten him a direct trip to Suplex City. And he starts hyping up Brock Lesnar, even says he was probably going to be a future Universal Champion. I thought that was very weird that he said that. That was just one of those things that jumped out. Like, is he really going to say this? I thought maybe he might stop himself, but he didn't. And it just seems like hearing Paul Heyman do that sent Brock Lesnar to a place that he's like, that he can only go to whenever he has Paul Heyman there as his advocate. Because as soon as he did that, you could just see it was almost like he was charging up. He started jumping up, getting pumped up. 
And then, like I alluded to earlier, went after the two buff nurses, threw them out of the ring in a very painful way. Not smooth at all. Probably dangerous, honestly, if you ask somebody who's actually familiar with wrestling. The way that they hit those ropes just ugh, wasn't a pleasant sight, to say the least. And then uh, Sami Zayn's next. He gets in there, gives him an F5. But, I mean, if you get an F5 and you're wearing a neck brace, you're in a wheelchair, and you're wearing a walking boot, that's likely going to, like, put you on the shelf for a while. If I were to, you know guess because I mean it, he looked like he was in just absolute killer pain and then Brock Lesnar leaves but I will say Paul Heyman's facial expressions after this happened he it's like he channeled his inner Sith Lord like Darth Sidious like I said if, if you're a, uh, a Star Wars fan or if you've if you're familiar with Star Wars at all you know that the Emperor is like this like he, he lies and he just basically antagonizes and instigates people to do things and once they do like out of aggression most of the time he just has that evil smile on his face like his plan worked that's kind of what Paul Heyman looked like so that alone this opening segment that lasted 18 minutes a damn good opening segment it kind of just set the tone for the show so right there I was in the mindset like okay this is going to be a pretty good episode of Smackdown and I personally felt like it did deliver continuing after this Brock Lesnar's backstage and he runs into Kayla Braxton and she asks him what the purpose was for him coming to ring, uh, ringside today. And then he responds, why don't you ask my advocate, Paul Heyman? And then he walks away, and that's just kind of stirring the pot. As, like I said earlier, storyline development with this which side is Paul Heyman on. It kind of takes a little bit a step further. And I feel like today, or I guess this episode of SmackDown, was actually a pretty big step, if I were to say so myself. But... Continuing on here, we get our first actual match. Los Lotharios versus Boogs and Nakamura. This wasn't a very long match. Quick victory for Shinsuke and Rick Boogs. Boogs actually dominated this match for the most part against both guys, uh, Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. Military presses Garza out and throws him out of the ring. That kind of takes him out of the equation. And then continues on with Carrillo, who eventually kind of scrapes his eye a little bit. That's how he gets, I guess, thrown off. Boogs, that is, from just his domination he was able to tag in Shinsuke Nakamura, who hits the Kinshasa and wins this match with a pinfall over Carrillo. Uh, I still stand where I did last week on Boogs and Nakamura. I feel like it's kind of, it's, it's getting to the point where it's it's all I can think about whenever I see these guys, especially whenever he still says the, and I'm here to rock with the Intercontinental Champion. Like, are you? what does the Intercontinental Championship have to do with that? You know, because it's not, I mean, you're mentioning it every week, reminding us, and all that's doing is saying, hey, that's right, Shinsuke is the champion, and they're not doing anything with it. So I guess I will, uh, I'm not going to go any further on that this week, but just know, rest assured, if they continue this, I will definitely be addressing it in weeks to come. Up next, Xavier Woods unveils his new crown, which is definitely better and obviously more uh, expensive than his previous one. I don't think that Roman Reigns would be able to just to stomp on this one and snap it in half, although he probably would, given that Roman Reigns is like, what, 260 pounds probably. I don't know exactly what he is, but he's definitely a big guy, so he probably could smash, no pun intended, or no pun intended, sorry, if I could spit it out. He would definitely smash that crown. But I will say, I, I this... This royalty stuff, it really is just getting, it's getting old. Just flat out, I'll say it as bluntly as I can. And it's not necessarily saying that Woods isn't doing a good job. He is. He's just kind of got the the unlucky hand that was dealt to him by, he got it after it was just used for like an entire year straight. So I feel like it's just kind of like, 
wrong or right place, wrong time, maybe, I guess you can say it, wrong place, wrong time. I don't really know exactly which, which one would be the right way to say that on this case because I, what I'm trying to say is Woods would be a damn good king, but it's just not the time for that. Next year, maybe, whenever we had a little bit of a break from it, it would have been nice, and it probably could have really taken off. But now, I don't know, and, and I'm not just saying that it's not going to be a success because who knows, it could end up being something that he uses as a positive like turn in his career where he takes a new step to a new character and all that stuff, which is what I hope for Xavier Woods because he is talented on the mic and in the ring. He definitely brings something to WWE. So I like that they're giving him a, giving him a chance here to have a new character, but it's just, well, I'm just tired of it, to be honest. I, I just, I, I really am tired of this whole king gimmick that they're doing here and just the superstars that were kind of just gathered around there like it's so interesting to see what the crown looks like Mansoor was there the Viking Raiders Ricochet quite a few people were there just watching and it's just it's like the the Smackdown version of the 24-7 title like you're, if you're in that group watching to see Xavier Woods unveil his new crown then I feel like you definitely are probably in the um the bottom half of the roster to say the least but up next keeping things backstage Adam Pierce is back he was gone last week. He is now back. Him and Drew McIntyre have a little bit of an interaction backstage where Drew kind of asks him about not being in the Black Friday Battle Royal, this and that. But Drew does tell him that upper management has made the decision that Drew can no longer take his sword to the ring. Right? I guess they didn't say no longer. They just said tonight. Specifically, to get it right, they said you cannot take it to the ring tonight. So Drew agrees by stabbing his sword about halfway through Adam Pierce's desk and leaving it there. And later on, they show Adam Pierce trying to get it out. He can't, and we will definitely touch back on that sword situation here in just a little bit. But another backsta- backstage thing that happened here, Sasha Banks, she goes up and she's, um, she's seen approaching Tony Storm, giving her like a motivational speech to prepare her for her contenders match tonight, where Tony Storm says, Pieback is a B, you know, I don't have the uh, the little editing or, I guess, um, sound effect app right here at my disposal. So I can't put the beep in there. I'm not going to say it, obviously. So you can uh, use your imagination to find out what Tony Storm said there. But I will say Sasha Banks was wearing contacts here, like not cool contacts, like how Kane used to wear like his white one to make it look like he had a white eye. And Finn or Jeff Hardy sometimes will wear contacts. I mean, it would, they were just like colored eye contacts to make it seem like your eye like eyes were different color than what they really were. And like, I don't know. I think they might've been like hazel or some type of color that she made hers. It's, it's weird for me. I mean, luckily I was somebody who was born with colored eyes. So I never had to do anything like that. But I do know people who have done that, who like, they'll come to school one day with like blue eyes and their contacts and act like nothing happened. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? But that's just one thing kind of, it's definitely like noticeable for me and kind of something that doesn't like grind my gears, but it's definitely distracting. I don't really know why, Sasha felt the need to put contacts in. I mean, her eyes are fine, in my opinion. She looks damn good every week, so I don't know. To each her own or their own, she could wear whatever she wants. Just something that I definitely noticed here. Up next, we get another match. This one, Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus one-on-one. And I only have a couple of notes from this one. I mean, it's really only one note because Drew does win this match. Physical as hell. He wins it with a claymore. But the female ref, I don't really know. I think her name might be Rebecca, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe Jessica. I don't know. It's definitely on me, and I apologize for getting it wrong. But it's the female ref who's been around for a pretty long time. Normally, she's pretty good, but I will say, sometimes I think she does just a little bit too much. Like, she she gets involved a little bit. Like, there was, like, probably a 15 to 20 second period in the match where I was only watching her just to kind of see because she was, like, jumping. Like, I could see her on my peripheral vision while I was watching the matches, the hand gestures. 
and I don't know, sometimes I feel like she just does a little bit too much to like get herself more like, it's almost like the referee version of what Pat McAfee does. You know, people say that Pat McAfee's like distracting. He tries to make the moment a little bit more about him. And I'm not saying that she makes it about her, but I just feel like some of the movements she does are just a little bit exaggerated. Like whenever they're on the outside of the ring and she's telling them to get back in the ring. I don't know. Sometimes she just, some of the moves she does in her hand gestures are just a little bit too much. So that's really all I have to say about that. Kind of wanted to point that out there. It just bothered me a little bit. Uh, but yeah, like I said, Drew won that match. Physical as hell. And he wins it with a claymore. So continuing on here, like I said, Drew McIntyre or Drew McIntyre's sword that was stabbed into Adam Pierce's desk, which could not be removed. Adam Pierce was shown trying to remove it. Maybe somebody a little bit stronger than him could have gotten it, but Mad Cat Moss and Corbin are shown like giggling backstage, peeking to see if anybody's catching them, and they kind of just roll the desk with the sword out of the, uh, the the side of the camera, so out of the picture. And who knows where they're taking that thing. You can guarantee that it's going to lead to them getting their asses kicked by Drew McIntyre in the coming weeks, so I am here for that 100%. Unfortunately, he will not have Jeff Hardy with him to go two-on-two with these guys, as been mentioned, I'm sure. You guys all know by now, obviously, Jeff Hardy has been released. No, this definitely sucks being a, a huge fan of the Ruthless Aggression era. And Jeff, I mean, Jeff's been around from the Attitude Era as well. So, I mean, he's just been around for both. And that's one reason why I'm a huge fan of the Ruthless Aggression Era is because it features a lot of the same stars that they had in the Attitude Era. But we're not going to get into that right now. That's a subject for a whole nother day. But just as far as Jeff goes, man, this was tough. I mean, I literally just met this guy like a couple months ago. So the fact that he is gone already and, you know, the rumors circulated about that whole live event performance and this and that and, it does suck, honestly. I, I wanted to see Jeff end his career on a high note with WWE. I don't know if he's going to come back now. I don't see the point in it. This was his return. This was his, you know, his last run with the company. It looked like he was starting to pick up steam. That's what sucks. Fans were getting behind him. It just looked like something that you could really buy into. And for whatever reason, just uh, didn't work out. And this kind of does put a nail in the coffin or at least officially end the era, or I guess the uh, the run of the return that the Hardy Boys made back in WrestleMania 33, I think it was in Orlando. One of the best moments in this era of me watching wrestling. Like, there's been a few, a handful of moments that really made me pop over the past, like, five or six years that I've been watching wrestling again. So, the fact that, uh, that this was one of them, and this is kind of like the nail in the coffin. Like, Matt Hardy left a while back, and Jeff Hardy was kind of hanging around. Seemed like he was picking up steam, but... Nonetheless, he is gone, so definitely best wishes to Jeff. Hope everything works out. His personal life is obviously more important, so that's, you know, first and foremost what needs to be all right. But, you know, just in terms of the wrestler and his career, without a doubt, he is going to be in the Hall of Fame someday, and I'm looking forward to the day that he does get his roses and we can all just appreciate what he brought to the table. So moving on here. Paul Heyman, he's seen trying to leave, and Caleb Braxton approaches him, and she just asks him directly if he is the advocate for Brock Lesnar. And he really doesn't give her an answer. He just says, I hate when you do that. I hate when you sneak up on me, and I also hate whenever you do that, you know, trying to poke me and get me to say things. And then he tries to walk, well, he tries to walk away, and then she asks him, how is Roman Reigns going to react to what happened? And that's whenever his body language changed completely. He doesn't answer, but this time he doesn't have like a... um a witty response either you know he just kind of walks away because he knows like holy crap i'm probably in some deep you know what whenever roman reigns returns but up next 
we get the Naomi versus Sonya Deville match, or do we? Because Sonya came out in her new gear, which I will say, some of the best gear that she has ever had. And before this match, they had a video package recapping the timeline and like the series of events to lead to what's happened to, to make these two hate each other and where we are right now. So Sonya comes out, and it looks like they're about to start the match. She asks for a microphone, and she introduces a special guest ring announcer, who is Natalia. And then a special timekeeper who ends up being Shayna Baszler. And right when that happens, Naomi just leaves the ring and like attacks both of them. Or well, specifically Shayna. Natalia tries to attack Naomi whenever she's back inside of the ring. But doesn't work. She gets taken out as well, at least for the time being. Sonya goes out there, gathers both women, and says, What the hell's going on here? You stand there. You stand there. Sonya goes to the other side. So they have three sides of the ring covered. And Naomi is surrounded. And she's still in a three-on-one disadvantage. Until somebody decides to come out and even the odds a little bit. And it's none other than Xia Li. So we get the much anticipated debut or I guess appearance of Xia Li. And she is now officially on SmackDown. Booked as a babyface. Her entrance was very cool just in terms of like the video graphics. I don't know how they're going to be able to do that every week. They kind of made it look like it was like an anime cartoon or like a comic book type thing. Like just the special effects they had. If you watched it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was cool, but she looks like she's going to be a good asset to the uh, SmackDown roster. And the the Hill woman here, the Hill team of Shayna, Natalia, and Sonya Deville, they do sneak away narrowly because of Shayna and Natty. Because Sonya's in the ring and she's about to get a move from Naomi, who's on the top rope. I don't know exactly what move she was about to do, but they narrowly pull Sonya out of the way, and she does escape somewhat close to getting taken out there. But, I mean, I guess we'll see next week. It's likely going to continue. We haven't gotten the payoff yet between these two, and now Zia Lee is inserting herself into this. Probably not going to stick around. It's likely still going to be Shayna and Natalia just kind of being the two thorns in Naomi's side while she's trying to get at Sonya. So I could see Zia Lee kind of sticking around and trying to help out Naomi. Either way, I hope they find a good spot for her because... She does look like she's going to bring, um, you know, some good stuff to this roster and a roster that definitely needs as many talented wrestlers as we can get. But RK Bro shown backstage having an interaction with the guys from Jackass. Like I said a little bit earlier, they are here in attendance. But this one right here, I will say, it, it was weird having having a Raw team there. They didn't, I didn't really like it at all. The fact that they just randomly were like, hey, look, we're getting a match tonight to decide who is the best tag team in WWE. Well, who the hell want, like, did anybody ask who the best tag team in WWE? Like, did anybody say, Hey, we need this. We need this right now. Less than a month after survivor series. Give us another raw versus SmackDown match. It's stupid. I, I really didn't like this. And we'll get into that main event a little bit later. The, the one that RK bro was actually in. And it was nice seeing them. Like I said, I've been watching raw so the fact that I got to see Orton and Matt Riddle was pretty cool. I enjoyed that, but I don't want it to come at the cost of losing the credibility of the brand split, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want there to be any sort of crossover at all. Like, in a dark match, after the show, anything. I do not want to see superstars appear on the other brand. It's how they, you know, become synonymous with one brand, and it actually means something whenever they get drafted to the opposite brand in a year. You know, I mean, it's... It seems easy, you know, it seems pretty simple to understand, so I don't really understand what the problem is and what the confusion is with the whole brand split and why they just can't seem to get out of their own way. 
But let's get on to another match here. And this one, in my opinion, was a good one. It was a contenders match. Did have a sloppy finish there. Tony Storm versus Charlotte Flair. Tony looked good here. Like, she really did. She looked like she belonged on the stage with Charlotte. She made it very competitive throughout. It does end with a DQ after Charlotte refused to stop kicking Storm's head slash neck area outside of the ropes. While Tony was kind of sitting there in the corner, like on the edge of the apron, almost lifeless. Charlotte just wouldn't stop kicking her, so she does get the the DQ loss there. And we will likely get to get to see these two go at it again. But see, one point DJ made was you could have saved this match for a championship match at day one, and you definitely could have. That could have been an avenue that they went down. But you even said because there's no build, like there was no build to this match. Well, this match wasn't a championship match, so there really doesn't have to be a build up for it. You know, like and and you could argue that there is. I mean, there was a little bit of a pie in the face situation that happened over the past couple of weeks where Charlotte wouldn't give her the time of day and ended up pieing her in, a, in the face, embarrassing the hell out of her. Next week, she gets a little bit of retaliation, pisses Charlotte off, clearly. So Charlotte was like, all right, I'll give you this match. We'll go one-on-one. Clearly still pissed off, still frustrated. She still has a lot of animosity towards Tony Storm, so this match couldn't even end. It ended in a DQ so I think that does make a little bit of sense. Honestly, it does because now you could set them up for a day one pay-per-view where Tony Storm already looked competitive, where it looked like she belonged in the ring with Charlotte Flair and could put on a good match with her. And now the match didn't end, so we're going to get to see that match likely have a, a clean finish. Still, Charlotte's going to be the winner. At day one is what I do expect. So now we are going to get a little bit of build between now and then up to the actual championship match because sometimes it doesn't work out where you can just go you know directly off the blueprint where you have a good build for every single storyline that happens, trust me, I really wish that, that was the case. I would love for every storyline to make sense and get me invested immediately and just have the perfect build to it. We're just giving WWE too much credit there. You should already know they do not care about making us feel like things are right, you know, or at least at the right time. They could care less what we think. So uh, it is frustrating, but um, all in all, I think that this was a decent match. The ending, I really wish it would have been a little bit different there because it did make Tony look like she was getting the hell beat out of her there towards the end and just there was nothing she could do. But at the same time, it made it look like she was getting underneath Charlotte's skin. And I did see enough from Tony Storm before that happened to let me know that she's going to be all right here on the SmackDown roster, at least if they give her the opportunities. She's going to be a hell of a wrestler. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of Tony Storm here on the blue brand. But we will continue on here, the last backstage segment that we get, and it's Brock Lesnar and Adam Pearce having an awkward interaction. Now, I would suggest going to watch this, because Brock Lesnar had a very long-winded explanation about how he named a moose that he killed after Adam Pearce. So, if you're interested in seeing Brock Lesnar cut promos, because, I mean, I'll be honest, the past couple of weeks, he has been talking a lot. Tonight, there was a lot of talking, and he didn't do a bad job. I will say that. His opening promo and his opening little segment with Sami Zayn that he had in the ring where he set the chair down and he was just talking to him, he did good there, and he did good right here as well. So, uh, yeah, if you want to see Brock Lesnar talk and see and you kind of grade him for yourself, how you think he's doing on the mic, definitely I would recommend going to watch this. But let's see. Up next, we get that triple threat match that we were promised, the Usos versus RK-Bro versus the New Day to see who is the best tag team in all of WWE. And WWE actually ran a Twitter poll to let the fans decide for themselves who they thought was the best tag team in the company. And RK-Bro or RK Bro 
did actually win that poll. So according to the fans, or at least the ones who participated in the poll on Twitter, they think that it's RK Bro. I disagree with that. And I'll kind of say why, and it kind of explains itself here in the match, because the Usos look the best during this match. They really do. Now, Randy Orton doesn't make it in the match. He doesn't even get tagged in for 11 minutes. So a good chunk of the match went by before he even steps in to kind of make RK Bro's case for how good of a tag team they are. The triple threat rules with the New Day kind of being featured in there kind of threw it off a little bit. And that's the funny thing is I feel like the New Day were kind of like the odd man out. And it was actually the Usos and RK-Bro, obviously the champions, who are in the running there to be the best tag team in WWE. I really think that. And that is credit to RK-Bro for kind of just being thrown together. They're not a true tag team. And the fact that they are even in the discussion, you know, definitely credit to them. And the fact that they're holding those Raw Tag Team Championships should tell you really all you need to know there. But Randy Orton does finally get in the match. And once he does, his presence is certainly felt. And he makes an immediate impact. Changes the, the um, I guess you can say the momentum, if that's the word you want to use. And he definitely puts it in RK Bro's favor. Until Xavier Woods tags himself in. He's kind of standing behind Orton, slaps him on the back, tags himself in. But that doesn't stop Orton from continuing to take out the Usos. He hits Jimmy Uso with an RKO. And then starts to beat the hell out of Jay. Kofi Kingston comes in. They take Orton out and they continue to beat on Jay. And then Xavier Woods hits him with, I don't even know what it was. It was like some type of stomp off the top rope. And then... It was similar to like a coup de gras, but like assisted a tag team version. And the New Day pick up the win. Kind of surprised me there because they really weren't the ones who were, you know, throughout the match you were saying, okay, they have momentum, they're in control of this match, and they have a legitimate shot to win it. That was the Usos. And then whenever the Orton and Riddle team, whenever they were getting involved, you could tell they had the crowd behind them. So it was really between those two teams and the Usos were the ones who ended up getting pinned to give the New Day the win. So I guess if you want to go off stats and numbers and who actually won this match, the New Day technically are the best team in WWE, but you will never hear me admit that like without sarcastically saying it or anything like that because I definitely do not believe that. I think that the Usos are the best team just all together, top to bottom. They're definitely the best tag team, in my opinion, right now in the WWE. But... That is the SmackDown review, guys. Like I said, I thought it was a pretty decent show, all things considered. I really enjoyed it. Next week, they're going to be in Chicago. Roman Reigns will be back. So hopefully they can pick up off this, have another good episode as we close out the year 2021. I do want to thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. If you are a first-time listener, thank you so much for choosing it. And if you are a regular listener, thank you so much for making this part of your weekly routine. I hope you will continue to do so as well as all of the other podcasts that are here on the WWE Podcast Network, such as the Raw Review, the Weekend Review, the Mailbag, the AEW Dynamite Review, the NXT Review, WWE Rivalries, What If, you name it. There is uh, no shortage of content here. The News Brief, that's a new show that we've been having here with uh, Amanda Jinn. She'll kind of break the news that happens throughout the week in WWE. Entertaining show. So you guys definitely want to check that out. Check everything out that we have here. I promise you will not be um, you will not be sad that you did that. As well as if you go over to Patreon and you subscribe there for a dollar a month, you get all of these shows that I just mentioned. You get all of those shows ad-free. Literally the smartest thing you could do as a fan here. Because not only that, you get access to a Discord server where you can communicate with hosts, other fans, other listeners of the show. Definitely the place you want to be, especially on pay-per-view night. So I will say... If, I will, if you take anything from this podcast, I hope it is that you will go subscribe to Patreon and 
get that ad-free experience because I promise you, you will not regret it. So walk passionately in the direction of your dreams, guys, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.